From Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul writes, finally, because he's at the end of his epistle, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on, see, I, I, I'm nothing without Jesus Christ. <laughs> I hear St. Paul saying the same thing. For me to live is Christ. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All of those are synonyms for the demonic forces. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. He's talking about the satanic host. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul was writing from prison because he was arrested as a Christian. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it God's gospel boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is giving us some words of advice that every generation of Christians have cherished since the beginning of the church. Words about fighting the good fight of faith. He uses the image of a uniformed Roman soldier. I've not seen too many Roman soldiers uh, patrolling our streets lately. Have you? So he, can, he paints a picture, it's a vivid one, about wearing a helmet and having a breastplate and a shield and, and shoes and all that, but... Um, it's an archaic kind of illustration that we somehow 2,000 years later have a bit of a time struggling to understand. So I thought maybe to make it a more uh, easy on our 21st century ear, we would change the illustration a little bit and talk about the great American institution called football. Any team's hope for victory is the development of a good game strategy. First of all, it means you need to know your opponent's capabilities. Every good team has a core of coaches that will go and scout out the opposition. They follow them week after week after week so that they know when it comes time to play them, how do we play this team? Because you don't play every team the same way. You have to have a strategy for facing this team. Are we better passing the ball or running the ball? And if we run the ball, should we run to this side of the line or that side of the line? Which of their players is sick? Which are out? 
Which ones can we pick on? Weakest link. You simply must know the strengths and weaknesses of your opponent if you're going to prevail. But then just having a bunch of information won't help you if you don't put it to use. You gotta use what you've learned, studied. And the time to put all that information to use is not game time, it's way too late. You don't develop a strategy or start thinking about the strategy at game time. You do it the whole week before in the whole week's practices leading up to the game. Waiting till game time to prepare or practice a game plan is simply foolhardy. Every practice focuses on hitting the opposition where they are the weakest. And many an inferior team has won the game because they figured out how to do that. Hit them where they're weak. And finally, if a team wants to win, you gotta stick to the plan. It requires a lot of discipline. No player can go rogue and decide, I'm gonna go and do what I wanna do. You gotta stick to the plan that you develop together. It requires a tenacious desire to beat the other team. And in a real way, the players must be ruthless in applying the strategy, hit them where they're weak. Hit them where they're weak. Because if you don't do that, you're not only gonna lose the game, you're probably gonna lose your job. Coach is gonna yank you out and put somebody else in who hopefully will listen. Of course, all we're talking about with this is, uh, is a sport, it's a game. Some Fans act as though winning and losing is life and death, but it's still only a game. Not gonna be the end of the world if your team doesn't win or lose. But the strategy that Paul is talking about, hit them where they're weak, talks about an eternal battle with eternal ramifications, and it's not a game. Never has been and never will be. Satan has a scouting book on you, and that's a you singular. There isn't anybody else in the world just like you. You're one of a kind. Even identical twins are one of a kind. They're not the same person. Satan has a scouting book on you. He's been studying you for years. He knows all about you. His scouts have reported how impatient you are <laughs> or how tempting it is for you to gossip, how easy you have found it to find comfort in a bottle of vodka or to get a twisted thrill at some pornographic website. There isn't anything about you that he doesn't know. And believe me, Satan intends to put all that scouting information to use. He's not just piling it up so he ignores it. He's going to use it. Hit them where they're weak has always been his strategy because it simply works. And let's be honest, we all have our weak spots. That's what we said in the confession of sins. We're all sinners. We all fall short. Those are the areas of spirituality where we're the most vulnerable. 
They're the one person who most tries our faith or tempts us to sin. It's the situations, circumstances that we find ourselves most vulnerable into leaving the path God has set forth for us. It's unnerving to know that you can't hide anything from God. I mean, every time you read the story in Genesis 2 where Adam and Eve are trying to, Genesis 3, where they're trying to hide from God in the bushes, you want, you want to go, oh, come on. This is what you're going to do with your newfound wisdom? Hide? He doesn't know where you are? You can't hide from God. In a very real way, you can't hide from Satan. And that really is disturbing. In his own time and way, Satan will ruthlessly strike you at your weakness. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm forewarning you. He hates Christ with a purple passion. Truth be told, he doesn't really give a rip about you or me or any of us, except for the fact that Jesus says, you're the most important thing to me in my whole life. I died for you. I, I love you. I made you. I died for you. I rose for you. I live for you. I'm preparing a place for you in my heavenly kingdom. There's nothing and nobody more important to me than you, Jesus says. And Satan hears that and he goes, well, <laughs> you made it easy for me. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pry that person away from you, Jesus. Break your heart. He's subtle. Rarely does he come out with a blatant attack on you or your Savior. He's quite content to let you think you're a Christian if, in fact, you're not or you're getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And what it really means to be a Christian, anybody can call himself a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be nice. No, it doesn't. It means to try to um, uh, be moral. No, it doesn't. Being a Christian means um, thinking of other people. That's part of it, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian means I'm nothing without Jesus. I'm nothing without Jesus. I need Jesus more than anything else in my whole life. Not just the day I die, but today, tomorrow, and every day that he gives me. I'm nothing without Jesus. He is my Savior. He is my God. He is the center of my life. I revolve everything around Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if you've got any other definition, he's ready to let you go with that definition because it's not the right one. It's not the right one. He's happy to let you think yourself moral if, in fact, you're not. Or if you think you're superior to, you know, that person who walked in the other side of the sanctuary? <laughs> you know, who does he think he is? Who does she think she is? And you begin to think in your own mind, I'm better than that person. God owes me more than he owes her. What? God owes you nothing, nothing except his wrath and punishment. He promises you everything. But he owes you absolutely nothing. Get over it. God, I thought you were... Get over it. He owes you nothing. Satan's an expert in battle. <laughs> what do we do? Panic? Despair? Give up? 
Give in. I would suggest the best thing we can do is listen to St. Paul when he says Satan's strategy against you is hit them where they're weak and use the same strategy against Satan because Satan has his own weaknesses, his own areas where he's defenseless. Did you know that? What kind of scouting report and book can we develop on our enemy? Well, even though they're very tenacious, we need to remember that they're already defeated. Happened on a Sunday morning long time ago when Jesus walked out of a tomb. On that moment, on that day, Satan lost the war. Done. He cannot win. He knows it. That doesn't mean you can't die in battle. When the final gun is sounded at the end of time, Satan and his hosts will be the big losers. And despite all that sin can throw our way, all the sorrows we have to endure in life, victory is ours. That's because Jesus won it. When he died in our place to pay for our sins, he rose again so that we will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, you may die. You will die if he doesn't return first. Though he dies, yet shall he live. You will live again. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's his promise. That's not Weidler talking. That's Jesus of Nazareth talking. I'm just telling you what he said. You can look it up for yourself. John chapter 11. Read it. Read it to your heart's content. Paul wrote to the Romans, therefore, nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. By definition, sin separates us from God. By definition, forgiveness says sin can't do that anymore. When God forgives you, he removes the barrier that sin has set up between you and him. He's obliterated it. It's gone. No wonder we call this good news. Gospel. It's gone. Luther put it so memorably in his hymn. Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Though these all be gone, they yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remains. We are winners. Satan has lost. But Satan can still claim victories in this life and for eternity. Tragically, any one of us can forfeit our victory if you walk away from God. You know, the prodigal father, in the story of the prodigal son, the father never changed. He loved his boy tore his heart out when he left. But the son didn't convince the father to accept him and forgive him when he came home. He never stopped loving that boy. When the boy came home, all he did was find the love that was always there for him. He even suggested, Father, would you take me back as a hired servant? And the father said, no, because that's not who you are. You're my son. You're not a hired servant. The father never changed. It was the son who changed. The son who said, in effect, I wish, old man, you were dead because I want my inheritance now. 
When he came back, he said, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. I do not deserve to be called your son. As long as he was the prodigal far away, living a life for himself, the circle with all the arrows going in, he couldn't have the father's love. It was there, but he couldn't have it. We are winners in Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean you're going to win no matter what because you can throw away the victory he's given you. It was in late 43, Hitler's top brass came to him and said, Fuhrer, we're going to lose the war. Took guts to say that. We're going to lose the war. And they brought out charts and maps and supply lists. And we're going to lose. Hitler's response, we're told, was to say, well, then we're going to drag all of Germany and the rest of the world down with us. Which is like saying, if I can't win, not, nobody's going to win. On Easter Sunday, Satan was told, you can't win. And he knows he can't win. Then I'm going to drag all of mankind down to hell with me. You are in his crosshairs. He's got you targeted. He's got a strategy how to get you from here to hell, not to heaven even though he doesn't give a rip about you. Just wants to break God's heart. Again, Luther wrote in that great hymn, this world's prince may still scowl, fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged, the deed is done. One little word, he's talking about the word of God. One little word can fell him. On Easter, Satan lost. That doesn't mean Satan's not around. On Easter, sin was broken. We still sin. On Easter, death was broken. Have you checked the obituaries lately? Everybody died. They're all defeated foes, even though they're still around. And they're still dangerous because they're trying to drag you away from faith in the only one who matters, and that's Jesus. Hit them where they're weak. Satan is weak with the word of God. One little word can fell him. That doesn't happen on its own. It takes commitment on our part. So let's resolve here and now to beef up our own points of weakness. That's why Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't be foolish and not wear. Remember when hockey players didn't wear helmets? Do you remember when hockey goalies didn't wear masks? That takes me back to childhood. Watching those guys and going, you got to be kidding. Well, they didn't. They didn't wear masks. Sooner or later, somebody said, I think we ought to wear a mask. If you try to go through life without any one of these pieces of equipment, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Are you kidding? Why would you do this? It'd be suicidal for any football player to enter a game without all of his protective gear. We call that rugby. <laughs> Those people are nuts. 
It's football without any protective gear. Why are they doing that? It's spiritually suicidal to battle Satan without all the armor of God. Paul says, put on all the armor of God. In reality, every piece of that equipment is another form of God's word because it's from God's word that we learn about the gospel that are our shoes, about truth, which is the belt around your waist, about righteousness, which is your breastplate, about faith, which is your shield, about the helmet of salvation. It's all, every one of those. You learn about every one of those from God's word. And he says, oh, yes, and then there's, all those really are there to defend you. They're defensive pieces of equipment. There's one that's offensive. What soldier is going to go out into battle without a gun? If you're not the chaplain, they're not allowed to carry him. Why? You wouldn't do that. You got to defend yourself with a piece of offensive equipment. Paul says, don't forget the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Three times Satan came tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Turn bread, turn stones into bread, jump from the temple, bow down and worship me. Three times, Jesus unsheathed his sword. He answered the same time, same way all three times. It is written. It's written, it's written. You don't understand Satan. One little word from God's word can fell you. And Satan was powerless to do anything as long as Jesus was fighting with the word of God. You and I have to arm ourselves with the word of God. We must commit ourselves to that word now. Now, folks, <laughs> I've been around these parts since January. I'm running out of time, I'm glad to say. I've been urging, urging, urging everybody as, as often as I can get involved in Bible study. Folks, I've been, I've been trying to shed weight. I've lost about 17 pounds in the last five, six months. Boy, it's hard. <laughs> but there's no magic pill. You know, pop this and you're going to, no. You've got to eat less and exercise more. Hello, they've been saying that since Garden of Eden. Hello. Got to eat less, exercise more. There's no other way. There's no shortcuts. You know, if you're going to defend yourself against Satan, who has you in his crosshairs, who's going to try everything he can to make you succumb to unbelief before you die, there's no shortcuts. You got one weapon that you can use to fight back, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if you're not involved in regular Bible study, you're a sitting duck. I don't know what else to tell you. I've been saying it since January. Please get yourself, we got the new year starting up. There'll be new Bible studies forming. We got a new pastor coming. Nice man, smart. You can learn a lot from Pastor Cush. Please do it. Get involved in a Bible study. 
Can you study the Bible at home by yourself? Everybody should be doing that. But you learn so much more when you do it together. That's why Paul ends up by saying, keep on praying on all occasions, keep on praying for all the saints. We're in this together. We're a family. That's, again, why we're here worshiping together. Can you worship God by yourself at home? Of course you can. But you're not going to get by yourself at home what you can get here. You can't. You cannot get from studying Scripture by yourself what you can get in a group study. You learn from each other. Keep on studying. I wish I could tell you there's a magic pill, a magic bullet. Do this, do that. It's, it's all done. There's no substitute for opening up the book and learning it. Why do you think Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written? He, there was no magic bullet for him either. He had to do it. Mary and Joseph raised him to be a man of the word. That's what it takes. Paul says, oh, would you please pray for me? He was in jail. He said, pray for me that I will have opportunity here in jail to open my mouth and boldly proclaim the one message that can save people's lives, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave his entire life, eventually he gave his head, for that endeavor. Never regretted it. There's an old hymn. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. We pray. Lord, I pray for these brothers and sisters, and I pray that they pray for me. We pray that you will bless us as we dig into your word, as we arm ourselves with all the pieces of equipment you've made for us to use to stand against the schemes of the devil. We pray that each of us would know the sword of the Spirit so well that we become expert in handling it so that we can not only defend ourselves but help point others toward you, Lord Jesus, for you are the way, the truth, and life. This is all about you. Help us to reflect that fact in our lives and all that we say and all that we do with all the people we meet, that they too will come to know you as Lord and Savior with us. It's in your name we pray.